Welcome to the Period Story Podcast, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Denise Brothers. I'm a yoga teacher and registered nutritionist specializing in women's health, hormones, and the menstrual cycle. I'm also the author of You Can Have a Better Period, the book Publishers Weekly calls an empowering debut, an informative, refreshing take on women's health. It's available from Amazon, Bookshop, and anywhere else you purchase books. I'm so pleased to share my conversation with Katie Taylor, who's the founder of the Latte Lounge. Katie so honestly shares her experience of perimenopause and menopause and her entire menstrual journey from a very painful experience of having a period to having hysterectomy and everything between. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm really excited to speak to you and hear your story. So let's kick off by talking about the story of your very first period. Sure. Well, thank you for having me, firstly. Um, obviously, it's a pleasure to be here. So my um, the story of my first period, um, well, it, it's a funny one. I actually was the last in my class, um, and I hated that. I actually thought there was something wrong with me because everyone else had sort of had their periods by the time they were about 13, um, and I was desperate to have it. <laughs> um, and I think it was literally probably about the day before my 14th birthday that that I finally um, had my period but there's a funny story actually because about well in my just when I turned 13 I remember I'd been in a um, art class at school and there was lots of paintings that were hanging up to dry and everything and I'd obviously brushed past very quickly one of these paintings and when I got home um, I remember sort of taking off my skirt from school and there was red and brown paint all over the bottom of my skirt and I thought I'd started my period and I was like oh it's fantastic and I was like <laughs> mom, mom, mom I've started my period and she's like no, you haven't. That's paint. <laughs> I was really disappointed. And then I had to wait almost a year. Wow. So in the end, how old were you? About 14? It was just I literally probably a couple of days before I turned 14. So I did feel really old compared to my kind of classmates. And then how did you learn about what was ha- what was happening to you? Well, I think I learned about periods mainly from my friends and also, you know, because watching them go through it and they were all sort of saying how they felt. And so I kind of I think because I was pretty much the last in my class, I sort of I I already had it sort of expected because they were talking about pain. So I'd expected to be in pain, um, moody. Um, I I had, um, you know, my mum always, her moods were kind of up and down as well. So I just assumed that's kind of how I would feel. But um, I I did, you know, I suppose I also learned from watching, you know, TV ads or in magazines about uh, sanitary products that were advertised. Um, And obviously we learned about it at school, but it wasn't something I took that much notice about at school I would say it was more from my social you know crowd and when you think back about some of the things your friends may have told you or some of the things that you you saw is there anything that you you were surprised by or that you kind of shake your head and just think oh wow that was just so 
naive? Um, I think it was just more that they were all sort of saying how much pain they were in and trying to get off. Uh, we always had to go swimming. It was one of the local swimming baths and it was always freezing and, and dark and horrible. I absolutely hated it. And so they always sort of, you know, tried to get out of swimming and get their mums to write letters. And I was desperate because I hated, absolutely hated going swimming. Um, so I was like, I, I actually wanted to get my period just so I could get out of swimming. Um, <laughs> But I guess nothing they said, I suppose, can ever really prepare you. Um, but I, I don't think it was quite as bad. I think there was a lot of hysteria when, as a class sort of group, everybody was comparing notes. That's so interesting because I spoke to someone recently and she said that no one talked about it. You know, they all wanted to get it. But then once they got it, no one talked about their periods. No, none of her friends group friend group compared notes like like you mentioned so it's just so interesting just to see the different ends of the spectrum yeah when you think back to the conversations that you used to have about it with your friends was there a kind of feeling of um excitement tinged with like well we need to kind of get get off swimming or was there any kind of shame intermixed in the conversation I, I don't think it was shame. I think there was a lot of embarrassment because I was in a mixed school and, you know, it's the same time when your hormones hit and you're also suddenly taking a real interest in boys and going to parties. So I, I think there was a lot of embarrassment there. Um, and I'm also grew up, yeah, I'm Jewish and I grew up in a, a Jewish family, you know, modern Orthodox Jewish family. But I, I think, you know, I think in our religion, a, a lot of women are sort of brought up to just be real um copers and just to get on with it and not to make a fuss um so I, I think it was different but I've also grown up in a very medical family so my dad is one of five and they're all professors and and, and doctors and um a lot of the my father's a breast cancer professor although he's retired so a lot of the conversations around our dinner table were always about women's health so for me I I wasn't it was okay. I didn't feel embarrassment or shame because I was fascinated by sort of human biology and, and the female anatomy just because it was such a common topic of conversation in our house. So I was more interested in what was happening and why. And, I, you know, I, I asked a lot of questions, um, not, not so much to my father, because, yes, it's still embarrassing to talk about you know, bleeding at the, at the dinner table. It's just not, the, it's not, the done, <laughs> it's not the done thing, but I was more interested in what was going on. Um, but also wanted to be sure that, you know, if I was going to a party that I was, you know, I, I, you know, wasn't going to leak, you know, basically that's always your biggest worry is, um, you know, making sure you've got sanitary towels with you and, and whatever. What's really interesting is you what you said about growing up as like growing up in a Jewish family. And something that I was reading about when I was doing the research in my for my book was the um the mikveh. I don't please correct my pronunciation, um, and the purification baths and how there's a lot of Jewish women now who are kind of reinventing what that means and like using it as a kind of time where they can kind of settle into their bleed and using it as a moment of self-care care rather than like you know you have to purify yourself because 
you you're bleeding and that's dirty and I found that so fascinating yeah I mean look the, the very religious Jewish community you know that's absolutely right that intercourse is is not doesn't happen during um, women's period and, and these very you know religious families that they, they'll sleep in uh, often sleep in separate beds and um, they go after they've had their uh, after their period is finished they'll go to the mikveh so for those who are listening um, it's almost sort of like dipping into a, a, a bath of water um, and and coming out you know, as you say, as purified. And I think for people listening, they might think, well, that's a kind of weird thing to do um, because, you know, bleeding isn't, you know, unpure. It's just a natural biology. But it's it's not, obviously, I'm not um, a religious Jew. I'm um, you know, just a sort of modern Orthodox Jew. So it was something I'd, I'd heard um, uh, growing up, but it wasn't something that particularly affected me. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. You had grew up having these really open conversations about women's health. And so did you feel like once you got your period, you were maybe a bit ahead of the game in terms of your understanding of your body and what was happening? And then just out of curiosity, because sometimes what I've seen in some of my in conversations with other guests who come from a background where there's you know, medicine or something like that, they be take on a kind of like teacher role with their friends. Did you, did it, was some, did something similar happen to you? I mean, as a teenager, not so much. I kind of was curious, but obviously, you know, I, I suffered with my, my periods. I had terrible, terrible pain, terrible headaches. My moods were awful. I had awful acne. Um, so to be honest, and, and I felt very angry. My, 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 the periods weren't a joyful time for me and I couldn't wait for them to be over. So it, I always sort of felt like I was almost sort of just trying to sort of survive those five days before almost coming back to, to normal. Um, but in, in terms of sort of talking about it, I, I felt at the time that I knew everything I needed to know it's only now, and obviously we'll talk about what I do a bit later, but it's only now I know what I know that I realise how little I knew actually about, you know, women's health and and periods and hormones and how they can affect you um, post, obviously, post-school. <laughs> <laughs> and you talked about being feeling very angry when you had your period because of the pain, the headaches, the acne. What did you do about it? Well, I mean, I used to take obviously pain relief and my mum always used to give me a hot water bottle and I'd sort of curl up, you know, under the covers. And I just really was not just felt very unhappy and, and miserable. But, you know, I, I didn't I wasn't but uh, I guess because I was a doctor's daughter, I was never allowed a day off school. I had to be seriously unwell for that. So you just kind of got on with it, really. It wasn't, um, you know, anything more than that. And because everyone else was obviously in the same boat I you know I was no different from anyone else and then once you moved into your 20s and your 30s what was your experience of your period like then yeah and and this is kind of why I wish I'd sort of known a bit more 
um, than what I know now. So I started, I got married, I got uh, married very young. I was 24. Um, and um, we tried to stop for a family. Um, and I um, found it quite difficult to get pregnant at first. Um, but I, I managed to get pregnant. Um, and then unfortunately, I had a miscarriage. Um, and after I and and the miscarriage, I noticed I was spotting. It was sort of some brown spotting. Um, I thought perhaps it was just a period, but so I didn't really know that actually it was a miscarriage. Um, and after the miscarriage, the, um, again I found it quite hard to get pregnant, and so I was sent to a gynaecologist to uh, just have some tests and scans, and they said then um, that I had polycystic ovaries, which kind of um, it was it was a bit of a, a one of many light bulb moments I've had since because it was the reason why my periods were sort of so painful and a little bit erratic because they weren't always you know classic five day periods like most people. Um, and so she actually started me on Clomid, which helped regulate my periods. Um, I had, by the way, been on the contraceptive pill um, up until then. So that actually did help my moods a bit and regulate my periods before I was starting for a baby. Um, and I then managed to get you know, pregnant uh, fa- fairly easily. Um, and actually, I went on to have four pregnancies, thank God. <laughs> um, I'm delighted to say. Uh, sadly, they were all via cesarean section because they uh, they lost the heartbeat of my first uh, baby and it was an emergency. And after that, um, I couldn't um, have, you know, uh, I couldn't give birth naturally. So that was kind of my, I suppose, initial experience. Um, and then in terms of sort of post having my babies really that kind of takes us up to um, well my early 40s I had one very bad experience before my sort of uh, perimenopause journey kicked in which was one night I'd been to a, a party at my husband's work do and I had I was on my period and um, I had got in very, very late, um, probably like two in the morning, three in the morning. And I had um, woke up and thought, oh, I must um, change, you know, my tampon. And I thought, oh, I didn't put a tampon in. So I put a tampon in and carried on with my day. And the next night, um, I started feeling very, very unwell uh, to a point where I was shivering and burning hot um and my husband had to call an ambulance I've never been in an ambulance and it turned out that I'd had a the string had snapped off this tampon so I'd obviously put another one in and I was uh, I had septicemia um from a retained tampon basically which was really terrifying um and I ended up in hospital for about 10 days um just sort of on a intravenous (laughs) antibiotics Um, I mean, thankfully, I'm here to tell the tale, but it was a very scary uh, time. And it's I don't want people to be scared about tampons. It was one of those just rare things that doesn't happen. But it just I think it it really scared me at the time. Wow, that is that's so scary Mm. Um, because, you know, you when you're growing up, you hear about toxic shock syndrome um, and, you know, that's one of those things, oh, don't leave your tampon in for too long. Yeah. Uh, but then to hear that that actually happened to you. Wow. And then when you came out of the hospital, how did you then 
feel about your next period? Did you use tampons again? I've never used them again. Um, I was absolutely terrified. Um, But the interesting thing was the timing kind of coincided with my perimenopause journey. So I was becoming very forgetful. So although the string had snapped off, um, you know, I still to this day think, could I just not feel it or, or find it? Or was I just very forgetful? Uh, you know, is it, it was hugely embarrassing as well, you know, to tell people that that's what, how I'd caught septicemia. Um, but I never, um, I was too frightened to ever use um, tampon again. And I, and then what happened was I noticed my periods became incredibly irregular. Um, and I started to feel by the age of about 43, a whole host of seemingly unrelated symptoms. So very teary, low mood, brain fog, um, anxiety. I had heart palpitations. My joints were aching. Um, I wasn't, I didn't have any hot flushes. And as I said, I was still having periods, but I kept going back and forwards to different doctors over a four year period. And every time they kept saying I was suffering with depression and they offered me antidepressants. Um, And eventually I, um, my period started becoming incredibly heavy to a point where I was flooding. I, I literally couldn't leave the house because and if I was wearing some white trousers well that was just horrendous because there was no warning and I would just flood um and I became incredibly anemic uh doctors sort of um, offered me things like trans trans it's transamic acid I think it's called tranexamic acid yeah tranexamic acid <laughs> uh, um tablets that didn't help um and I just became a shell of a woman I eventually um left my job and I became a hermit and I lay at home basically exhausted all day on the couch um and at no point did anyone um offer me any other solution other than um you know to anti uh, sorry antidepressants um it turned out I had a condition called adenomyosis um, I had a lot of scar tissue from my cesarean sections um, and they couldn't um, give me a coil because of these cesarean sections. Uh, sorry, because of the scar tissue. Um, eventually, my dad was the one that said, look, I think this is hormones. And he sent me to see a gynecologist who specialized in the menopause. And within about half an hour of her, me telling her about my all of my different symptoms, she said, this is classic perimenopause. Um, it was another light bulb moment. I'd never heard of this word, but I just felt a relieved I wasn't going mad or I wasn't being a hypochondriac and B that there was a reason for these symptoms. Um, and for me, the uh, treatment option was hormone replacement therapy. Um, and, um, I just went home and sort of cried with relief on my bed that, you know, there was actually a reason why I was feeling like I was feeling. Um, and and that's what actually why I set up the work I do now. So you know, in some ways, I'm quite grateful for that experience. Yeah, wow. I mean, there's so much in that story that you just shared. Thank you so much for sharing your story. So you had four cesarean sections, and then prior to having the cesarean sections, you were on the pill that was controlling the pain. You were kind of having a withdrawal bleed and then you came off the pill. Were the four pregnancies, were they in su- su- succession? I can never say that word, succession. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I had my children quite close together. There's uh, seven years between the oldest and the youngest, and there's four of them. So they're pretty much sort of every couple of years. I just wanted to kind of get on with it. (laughs) (laughs) And I've always wanted a big family. My husband's one of four, and, my, you know, obviously my dad's one of five. So it was a planned uh, madness. (laughs) (laughs) After having each pregnancy, would you go back on the pill to control, control the pain? Um, I went back on the pill after each pregnancy until the very last one where my doctor said to me, um, you know, are you finished with your family? And I said, yes, absolutely. I'm very blessed. And and I was actually because I'd had a cesarean, they offered to if I wanted to have the um, my tubes tied um, to help with obviously the contraception. And I think because I'd, I I was I wouldn't have probably done it had I not been, I suppose, already open, cut open. Uh, but he offered to do it at the time of the cesarean. And because I was blessed to have had four healthy children, I it I just decided that's something I wanted to do. So, um, yeah. OK, so you had your tubes tied and then actually, so how old were you at, at this point? So my uh, daughter, um, it was, I was 28. So I think I was about 35 when I had my last child. So yeah, um, yeah, mid thirties. And then you mentioned that you were around 43 when you started to experience the brain fog and the forgetfulness. So you basically, you had you had your tubes tied. I can't remember what the formal medical term is. Something like tubular lignation or something. Yeah, yeah. Tubal tubal ligation. That's it. (laughs) And so how was your experience of your period in that time between having your your tubes tied and then that time where you went to your doctor or so you went to the hospital? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a bit of a sort of calmer time then because things were, you know, pretty regular, you know, sort of monthly and regular, although they were never, you know, five days. They were usually about sort of four, you know, four days. Or so, yeah, I mean, it, the pain was still the pain, really. It didn't really change. And the, you know, the mood swings were still the mood swings. Um, yeah. And so you were, your periods were still very, very painful. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting that they hadn't diagnosed the adenomyosis until your mid forties. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the scar tissue. So I, it just makes me think of Asherman syndrome as well, which is actually quite connected to adenomyosis. So for our listeners who aren't familiar, it's where, the tissue cells that should ordinarily be within the the womb, within the uterus that, you know, we shed during menstruation, they actually within the muscular lining of the uterus. And it makes periods incredibly, incredibly painful and heavy. Um, and so then you, you started to experience these symptoms of perimenopause and you had this light bulb moment when you went to your doctor and then you were put on HRT. Yeah, the I mean, I never my periods would never sort of came up as part of that conversation. Nobody really ever asked me about them. So which I still to this day find quite surprising. Um, they were focusing just more on the mental health side of things, you know, my mood and 
why I was crying and why I was low. And, they, you know, they commented on, well, you're overweight or perhaps you need to, you know, get fit, that kind of thing. Um, but there was, you know, I even went to see a psychiatrist who told me that the my aching joints, I was just imagining and it was all in my head and, and that was all part of the depressive illness. Um, I know it was really, really shocking. I, I felt very dismissed. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I was made to feel like a hypochondriac and it's crazy because I think growing up, as I said, in a doctor's sort of family, I never complained about my health. You know, I was very, I'm very calm. I, you know, I actually like being around a hospital, a medical environment because it's just something I'm grown up with following my dad round on ward rounds or whatever it just so I felt really quite angry that I wasn't taken seriously but then you know I just sort of thought well actually I'm just going to hide away at home because what I can't keep complaining to my friends you know I have a really good life and I'm just embarrassed that I'm not coping it's really it's shocking but it's not shocking that you were dismissed in that way because I hear it so often and I'm so sorry that you you had that experience um when you think back knowing what you know now when you think back to your experiences of getting I mean perimenopause isn't a diagnosis but you know actually just hearing that word and then going on the HRT what do you wish you you know you could have said to yourself what do you wish you know you could have said to your doctors Well, it's something that I now tell all the women who I help in our community. So when I got home from my own diagnosis, I set up a Facebook group and and I called it the Latte Lounge because I wanted it to be feel like a sort of a coffee shop, but online where women could talk about their own, um, not just perimenopause and menopause, but all sort of their midlife health and well-being concerns. And one of the things I've created is a downloadable uh, symptom checklist. Of, it's it's free for anyone who who wants to get hold of it and I had no idea that there were so many I mean there are up to probably 50 our symptom checklist has 34 of the sort of most common symptoms and I think I just wish that um, I had learned about at school that um, you know not just about menopause but this perimenopause section because we sort of we learn about not getting pregnant or we learn about periods or we learn about having babies and then your education stops and you don't know anything and you sort of have heard of that word menopause but in your mind that's just some gray-haired old lady who's got a hot flush and she's sort of fanning herself and rocking in a corner um and I think I you know so I wish I had been taught at school and I wish I'd been shown this sort of symptom checklist because the symptoms are not dissimilar to some of the symptoms you suffer you know you know when you have periods so again sort of those sort of the low mood um you know, heart palpitations, anxiety, that kind of thing. Um, But um, the other thing that I obviously found out now, I've been working in this field for sort of six, seven years, is that there is no mandatory menopause training at medical school. So I, you know, so doctors are coming out with a very sort of scanty knowledge, um, especially about this perimenopause, which, you know, can often be 10 years before the menopause. Um, So I just kind of wish that, you know, there was a lot more uh, training at medical school that we were taught about it at school. Um, I talk about it nonstop to my daughter and to my all, all of my 
three sons as well, because I think we need to be that generation that are going to not just educate ourselves, but the the, the younger generation. And so I just think it's about being in, informed uh, because, you know, in, information and knowledge is power. And I think the more we can all learn about this next phase of our life and and go informed to a doctor's appointments that you know the quicker we'll all get diagnosed and hopefully treated you mentioned you have these conversations with your daughter and with your sons do you talk is it is it about periods is it just generally about health what I'm interested in the conversations with your sons because I think that is so it's obviously important that we talk to our daughters about this and have open and honest conversations with them. But I do think there is really something about bringing in boys to the conversation. You know, I have a nine-year-old son and he, his school is, he's about to go into a mixed school. And I said to him, you know, you're at the age where some girls, they might get their periods and they might get their periods in school. Um, And so if you see a girl, if maybe she has a stain on the back of her her skirt or her dress, just offer your jump jumper to them so they, you know, they don't feel embarrassed, you know, just be really nice about this. And he looked a bit confused. Like obviously he had never thought about, thought about it, but I really want to kind of plant those seeds early on. And he knows all about periods because he hears me talking about them all the time. He's in the other room and I'm talking about, you know, all of this stuff. So he just knows, but I don't think he had ever thought about it in the context of his life and like his soon to be classmates. So I think that's really interesting. So I'm just interested in your conversations with your sons. Yeah, well, I guess it's a bit like you. I'm My kids are so used to hearing me talk about perimenopause and menopause all the time. It's almost like, you know, they're rolling their eyes going, oh, here she goes again, you know. So, But the good thing is they, they are informed. And, and one of the things I didn't mention was I actually ended up having to have a hysterectomy. So what happened was my womb became so bulky and it was stopping the blood flowing to um, my ankle, well, to my feet. So my ankles were swollen. So I had to have a hysterectomy and um, once I got better from the hysterectomy I remember it was about eight weeks later and I had to go to a a family party and I was sitting next to one of my male cousins who I love dearly and you know we're a very very close family and he sort of turned to me and he said how are you and I said yeah I'm okay I've I've been I've been in hospital I had to have an operation and he went oh you know what was wrong and I said oh I had a hysterectomy now I'm so used to just sort of throwing these words out there well his response really shocked me and he he went whoa like that like literally whoa too much information he's of recoiled and I was like oh my god wow okay I wasn't expecting that you know I was expecting oh I'm sorry to hear that and and you know he immediately was all very awkward and sort of I had to sort of try and make him feel better I sort of dropped a a napkin on the floor and I went oh I'm just going to pick up my napkin and and I went home that night and afterwards and I was thought my goodness you know what what uh you know, that generation of men where, where there's still that, oh, you know, women really shouldn't, it's disgusting and don't talk about that sort of thing. So I've sort of, ever since that experience, I've been a bit like you. I've said to my boys, look, women have been ridiculed all for, for as long as I can remember. Men are like, 
oh god she's on her period or oh you're so moody you're on your period or oh it's your hormones oh you're menopausal today and uh, you know oh god don't go near her and 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 I hate that because actually you know we can't help it you know it is our hormones and none of us want to be miserable or moody so I, I've sort of brought my boys up especially in the last sort of decade to actually sort of say that you know men and women are, are, are very different we are you know, to some extent, sort of dictated by our hormones. And, you know, women, unlike men, every month we are, our our moods are going to be affected. And it's about being understanding and supportive. So I think if men and boys are taught about why we are like we are, that they could be sort of much more empathetic and understanding. And also, you know, it saves relationships and marriages because a lot of women I hear from in the Lati Lounge, uh, you know, the most common rate of divorce is 45 to 55. And sadly, suicide is highest in women during 45 to 55. And that's because, you know, so, some women do suffer very, very badly and get to a very, very dark place. And, um, you know, you often hear from men saying, I don't recognize my wife, like my husband didn't recognize me. You know, you can literally change personalities and become a, a very different person. And, I think the more that we teach boys and men to understand and be, you know, em- empathetic and supportive, um, and also to to go and go with your partner, perhaps to a doctor's appointment, to say, how can I help? Um, I think would be a lot happier if, if, and it's important that men and boys are, you know, educated and brought up in that way. Yeah, yeah. You so you mentioned that you had had a you had a hysterectomy. Was this after you started the HRT? Uh, Okay, so you had already um, been using the HRT to manage some of the perimenopausal symptoms that you've been experiencing. And then, and then you had the, the hysterectomy. Was it a full or partial it was a full hysterectomy because by that point I was just flooding so much they couldn't control the bleeding we tried all sorts of different things and then once my legs started swelling we sort of felt like we'd pretty much tried and thrown everything at it mm-hmm. so yeah it was a full hysterectomy and um you know thankfully I had started it you know, HRT before, but there's a lot of women who have to have hysterectomies either perhaps through, you know, for medical reasons or, 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 um, or because of, you know, menopause symptoms. And when they remove the ovaries, you're plunged into menopause immediately. And there's a lot of women who are not counseled about that and they, uh, and are not even offered HRT. And for those who are listening, who might not know, and I just think it's vitally important that anyone that's been told they have to have a hysterectomy, that they have the conversations um, about what may happen um, hormonally to them afterwards. And, and, and the HRT is part of that conversation. And so you, you had the hysterectomy, you, you were on HRT and then did you have have to go on a different different form of HRT after the hysterectomy? What was your experience like? So you were in you went into medical menopause, um, and you know obviously that's quite a shocking experience as you've described. How supported did you feel with your doctors navigating that that new experience? Well, I think by that point, because I was under a really good gynecologist, and I knew then you know what 
was going on and what to expect and and what to ask for. So I knew I I only needed to be on estrogen then. Um, so all we did was we just stopped the progesterone. So I used to be on a combination patch, um, but that you know after then I only needed the estrogen. Um, and so look, I mean, looking back now, it's actually the best thing I ever did because I'm relieved to no longer have that horrible flooding and periods and for a while it was a bit weird because you always sort of know where you are with your period so to suddenly for the first time in your life never have them it's kind of a strange thing um but I think you know for those that you know perhaps haven't finished their family it can be devastating but for me I just looked at all my blessings and that I was so lucky to have four healthy children and actually it was it was it was a relief not to you know have any more periods Uh, and also you know I'd become severely anemic well if you don't mind me asking because we've kind of put together a timeline which I just find I always find fascinating to do because it helps others who might be experiencing something similar understand maybe have like a reference point for their journeys um how old are you now um so I'm 53 now (laughs) but the whole sort of perimenopause journey started at 43 so yeah I feel like I've been on quite a journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And so if anyone's listening who isn't sure what perimenopause is, is it's something that can start in the late 30s and is a very natural part of the kind of menstrual reproductive life cycle where you just start producing, you stop producing as many mature eggs and then that has an impact on progesterone production. And then eventually there are different phases of of perimenopause. And then this eventually leads into menopause, which is actually just the very last period. Um, And let's now talk about the Latte Lounge. So you had this experience, you went home, you set up your Facebook group, which I think is fantastic because you had had this very disempowering experience. And then you said, actually, I'm going to go out and help others. I don't want others to feel how I how I feel now. So tell, tell us more about the Latte Lounge. Yeah, so absolutely. So the Facebook group grew very organically. The first night I set it up, I had a thousand member requests in 24 hours. And I was like, my goodness, okay, I'm not alone. This is, uh, you know, this is going on all over the place. I was shocked at how poorly women were informed and and belittled and confused and lost and treated pretty badly. And I think because I'm a doctor's daughter, I thought I can't just let these women dump their problems into a Facebook group and just try and figure it out from other very well-meaning women. I need to actually help them properly. So I put together a medical advisory team and I built a website um, to really with three key aims, which are to support, inform and signpost women. Um, to the right resources or people or or places um, so that whatever they come to us about, we will do whatever we can to support them. And I think, you know, because we're the sandwich generation, we're often juggling children, we're uh, perhaps aging parents, we've got relationships going on and looking after our own work and home and, and life and sort of well-being. Nobody really shines a spotlight on us, the women in the middle. And, you know, we have this sort of pressure cooker 
situation going on. So I just wanted to kind of be that place where, you know, often in the middle of the night when women perhaps are not sleeping well or they're worried or they just have a sort of very quick question that we're we're kind of we kind of capture those problems and we try and help them and, and be that through. Um, you know, our podcast or through our articles on our website. Um, I I also run um, an event called the Midlife Festival, um, which is an annual event where we bring together some of the world leading, um, um, not just menopause um, and perimenopause experts, but all women's um, health and well-being experts talking about nutrition and and fitness and, and things like breast cancer and heart health. And just so that Women can learn from themselves in a very easy fashion, you know, from home um, and, you know, not be scared by sort of some really complicated medical terminology, but just where the sort of the facts are explained. So, you know, we do that and we have a a very small uh, private membership as well for women who want a lot more handholding and we'll run masterclasses there. um, And again, I'll help them behind the scenes. um, so that you can just really sort of feel the best we can feel and, and then, you know, embrace life and, and enjoy <laughs> the, this next stage, really. Yeah. What I feel, feel so excited and enthused about is this new thinking about moving into 40s, 50s and 60s. So, you know, thinking about I think about when I was a teenager and how, you know, the 60s was thinking about like being in your 60s. There's this stereotype of women just on their on the decline, you know, having a short, short haircut. Maybe, you know, it was curled skin, just very, you know, looking very dehydrated. There's this real stereotype. And you think now, like, you know, all the amazing women in like a, a, the public eye who are in there. 40s, 50s, 60s, who just look so vital. You know, they have this vitality about them. And I think it's so, it's so amazing. You know, I, I'm 43. And so I am kind of, I know that I'm, you know, in the kind of early stages of perimenopause. I'm in denial at the moment. (laughs) 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 But um, this, this term midlife I just want to ask you about it because it's something that I, I, I'm seeing a lot at the moment. And I, I, I struggle with that a little bit on a personal level, because I think of myself, I'm 43. I don't think of myself as being a midlife woman, but then I look at the sign behind you, it says latte lounge, top tips for women over 40 it's a virtual coffee shop for all midlife women. And I'm like, oh, what have I been midlife? But I don't feel feel like that at all. Yeah, I think it's a it is a funny word. I think it's you know, hopefully we're we're all living longer, thankfully. Um, and that's because, you know, leaps and bounds have been made in, in science and medicine. Um, but I think, you know, you touched on women looking so much more vibrant than perhaps the image we were brought up to believe that women are old and grey and and knackered and finished, but we're living longer, we're working longer. And I think a lot of the work I do is campaigning as well. So I've been campaigning for the last sort of five 
five years uh, with the Make Menopause Matter campaign with a lovely lady called Diane Danzibring. And and what's happened is because we've been sort of, um, I I guess social media has been a force for good in this situation. I think because a lot of us have gone through these experiences. Diane um, was suicidal with her her situation. And it's driven us to all campaign and, and talk very openly. And so with things like the Davina McCall program and um, lots of doctors and women coming to social media or writing books, I think we're all um, openly talking about our experiences because we can through the beauty of things like social media and because we don't feel old you know I think you know our parents really didn't learn much about nutrition and exercise and looking after ourselves whereas we've been brought up this next generation you know we are we're learning to um, how to eat to optimize our diet and look and feel great we know we know the importance of exercise for long-term health and well-being and we enjoy it um so you know why should we uh, why should we be sort of sitting in the corner rocking in that chair you know we we want to you know, i still feel young i don't feel in fact i feel better now than i did in my 30s in my 30s i was shattered all the time because i had four kids whereas now i feel happy and vibrant and excited and full of life and really um you know like i found my purpose and i i just want women to feel I guess as well as as you look and as well as I feel um and and that all comes down to just you know being informed and um you know life is for living and I've lost sadly you know a few friends over recent years who who didn't have that luxury so as as far as I'm concerned, I'm praying I'm in midlife. I pray that I will, you know, live till a hundred and <laughs> six, and you well past forty six. <laughs> Sorry, eighty six. Or <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Uh, um, so, if someone listening to this is thinking, okay, I know that I am, you know, I've started perimenopause, um, and that you know, menopause is on the horizon. Uh, what what would you say to them as a way as a kind of some words of support yeah I mean not don't be scared or afraid of it there are many women who sell through it and that's absolutely fabulous Um, but just as I say be informed now so that if perhaps you do start noticing you know as you sort of turn 40 that you start to experience perhaps some brain fog or low mood or you know even things like dry itchy skin or these sort of anxiety, heart palpitations that actually, you know, it's it's worth just sort of putting two and two together early on and thinking, okay, I am going into perimenopause. Um, and if you're not coping, if it's affecting your life like it did mine, don't suffer in silence. There is no, no one's going to give you a medal just for coping. Um, and actually there are, for those that can go on HRT and want to, and I understand there's a whole group of women who perhaps can't because of a family history or they've had breast cancer but go and see a menopause specialist because a lot of women still can even with a family history um but be informed and you know hrt for those that can take it um prevents osteoporosis it reduces heart disease um and there's research going on at the moment that it can help with things like early onset dementia there's not enough evidence yet but um you know it is being looked at so 
there are long-term health benefits. So don't be frightened of it. Um, and don't feel like, um, you know, it, you get some sort of medal for, oh, I, you know, I'm just going to try my best to manage. If you're not coping, um, then go and, you know, seek some support. And, and you know, everyone's welcome to join our Facebook group. It's free um, and look on our website. Um and, you know, we will support and signpost you if you do need help. So, yeah. And where can people find you? Uh, the website is latelounge.co.uk. Um, and through the website, you'll be able to find everything else. Um, the Midlife Festival is themidlifefestival.com as well. Um, if you want to, you know, grab one of the VIP passes, you can watch back the last two years of Fabulous Experts and the podcast. Um, if you just search for the Latte Lounge, you'll find it there. Fantastic. Is there anything that you want to leave listeners with? Any last words, any last thoughts? Well, the only other thing I haven't mentioned is that I left my job because of my symptoms. And if you're struggling in the workplace um, and perhaps your employer is um, unaware or isn't very well educated, um, you know, we can also help um, with uh, uh, corporates um, to support you to stay in the workplace. Uh, We we have a a corporate membership that women can get support with. But um, just, you know, looking back along my entire fertility journey, I think it all comes down to education. I think the more we learn about it at school, the more doctors are taught it at medical school, the more workplaces are um, educated and supported um, and that men are part of this conversation. I think by being open about these sorts of things, we're breaking down taboos, um, you know, getting rid of the embarrassment factor and just normalizing this conversation like like you are, you know, a few years ago, nobody you would ever dream of mentioning the word period so we've come a long way <laughs> we definitely have come a long way thank you so much Katie thank you for sharing your story for being so open and honest all the links will be in the show notes so please check out the Latte Lounge um, and thank you again oh thank you for having me and for all that you do too For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.